We're in a series called Stewarding His Presence. I think we have one or two more lessons in this series, um, and then we'll wrap it up. But the title of the sermon today is Prioritizing His Presence. Making God's presence a priority in our lives. And I, I, had, no, I had not seen these Operation Christmas Child videos until you, you saw them just a few minutes ago. And that little girl has wisdom beyond her years when she said that God's presence is the most important thing that she can have. Many adults will never come to that realization. But his presence really is everything. And so the title of the message today is Prioritizing His Presence. If you would just bow your heads for a moment. Jesus, we need you, God, more than ever. More than ever, God, we need you. We need your presence in our lives. We need your wisdom, your direction in our lives. Father, I pray that even though we're already on the fifth, sixth message in this series, and we've heard many different sermons about the presence of God, I pray that we would not go to sleep this morning, but that our ears and our heart would be attentive to what you are trying to speak to your people. Jesus, we want to be like you. Truly, we want to be just like you. Would you show us how to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. The, ta- the, the series is about learning to protect and keep God's presence in our lives because it's possible to not have his presence in our lives. Now, even after all these messages, there still might be some that say, what do you mean God's presence? Isn't God everywhere? How many of y'all know that God is everywhere at the same time? Okay, that is a biblical teaching found in the word. God is omnipresent, mean he is everywhere at once. So you might say, um, so what do you mean stewarding God's presence, if he is everywhere, then why do I need a steward? He's already here. Well, I would ask this in return. Does God have a personal relationship with everyone? No, that's, that's something that's pretty, pretty well understood within church. God only has a personal relationship with those who accept his son, Jesus, into their lives, surrender to him. Once you accept Jesus, then we begin to have a renewed relationship with him because the Bible says we're born dead in our sins and it took Jesus for us to have an open communication with the Father. So although God is everywhere, he only shares his presence in relationship with those who believe in and surrender to him. God only shares his presence. So when we talk about the presence of God, like I'm friends with most everyone in here, and you're, ha- you have, you're sitting with a, a, a family member, a loved one. When you spend time with them, you are spending time in their presence. Does that make sense? You're in, this is what we're talking about. It's about learning to develop a relationship with God in such a way where his presence is drawn to you and attracted to you. This is what this, is what this series has been about. And like any person... There are some things that invite, and God is a person, there are some things that invite his presence into our lives, and there are some things that repel his presence. I used this analogy a couple of weeks ago, but um, married people, wives, if your husband continually leaves, uh, leaves the toilet seat up, how much longer is he going to spend in your presence? Not very much longer. 
If he continues to not take out the trash, even though you cook and clean and do all these things, and he can't even just take out the trash, how much longer is he going to spend in your presence? On the, conversely, men, if she continues to nag, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go down that road. You know better. You'll stay there longer anyways. You'll, you'll take it because the food's really good. And There are certain things that we have to consider when we're in a relationship with people. How many of y'all have pet peeves? One of my pet peeves is, is when I'm talking to someone, they're not looking me in the eyes. They're looking around. They're looking down at their phone. Trust me, you will not be in my presence very long if you continue to do that. I, well, I was going to say, even, even if I'm in the position of a pastor, like, it, that's still very hard. I mean, friendship, like, that's, a, that's another thing. But we all have pet peeves, right? We all have things that we say, hey, I will not be around this or I will not tolerate this. This is the same thing with God. There are some things in life that he will not tolerate. This is why it's very important to get into his word and see what he loves and what he hates. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I know it's important. Obviously, God's presence is important. But why are we focusing on this topic so much? I, we probably could have gotten in two or three lessons. And I th- think this is why. Most Christians, even those who have been saved for a long time, don't prioritize God's presence in their lives. They just occasionally visit his presence. There's a difference, church, between visiting God's presence and living in his presence. What I mean by visiting his presence, for those who only go to church on Sunday are not connected to the body pray only before their meals, and read whenever they need a word from the Lord, I would say those people will just visit his presence. But when you make a commitment to be committed to the body of Christ, when you make a commitment to be in his word every day, and not just pray in the morning before you do anything, before you go to work, but you make a commitment to throughout the day, Spend time with him. Think about him. Even during your break, open up your Bible app and read a chapter or read a few verses. That is living in his presence. There's a difference between visiting and living in his presence. You know, one reason why living in his presence or the presence of God is so important is because there are some things we only find in God's presence. There's only some things that we find. Without God, we can manufacture some of these things, but they don't last. We can try to find, we're going to look at one in a minute. We can try to manufacture happiness, but it doesn't last. We can try to manufacture peace in our lives by getting a certain job and having job security and having the right pay and having the right benefits. We think that we can manufacture peace and security for our family. But what happens when you get sick? What happens when that, when that company shuts down? Then what? Then what about those benefits and that security? You see how we can begin to try to manufacture these things? There are some things, church, that are only found in God's presence. Here's some of them. I have a chart for you. In God's presence, we find freedom. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's not on the screen, but you can just take my word for it. What is the opposite of freedom? It's the top one. 
bondage. When you don't have freedom, you're living in bondage. This is the thing about freedom. Many times we don't know we're in bondage until we're set free. Anybody have somebody who's an addict, somebody who's an alcoholic, and they swear up and down, I don't have a problem. They don't have a problem. They don't know that they're in bondage until they're set free. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is a prophecy about Jesus. This is something he came to do. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is what Jesus came to do 2,000 years ago, and this is what his spirit is still doing today. One of my favorite passages is Titus 3, verse 3. He says this, For we ourselves, this is Paul talking, For we ourselves were once foolish, we were once disobedient, we were once led astray, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. I love that. We think that spending our time indulging in pleasure, indulging in things that we like to do is going to bring freedom, but it actually brings slavery. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. This is so good. Whenever we were lost in our sin, we were lost in our careers, we were lost in our passions, in our pastimes, he saved us. He got our attention. He woke us up that life is more than how we can enjoy ourselves, but it's about serving him and serving the kingdom. So in his presence, we find freedom. The second thing, in his presence, we find joy. uh, Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. Did you know in God's presence we get joy? Look at, the, look at this carefully. Happiness is conditional. Joy is certain. Happiness is conditional, but joy is certain. I could, I could have said joy is unconditional, meaning it doesn't take a condition to still have joy. But your happiness absolutely is linked to whether or not you have a good day. It's conditional on whether things um, unfold the way that you want them to unfold. Joy, on the other hand, is there regardless or or not if you have a good day. Joy, and I believe this, joy actually, I believe, starts with believing a truth. Let me say it this way. Happiness starts with the feeling. Joy starts with the belief. What's the belief? How can we as believers have joy? Because we know that we have a father in heaven who's watching over us every moment of our day, and then he has a good plan for us. When you understand that, believe it, then it produces this feeling that can go, that can go weather every storm that comes along. So even though you may have the hardest day you've had in years or, ev- or maybe ever, you can still have this joy that says, you know what, I don't like the day that I'm having, but I know it's going to be okay. I know that God is still watching over me and my family. <laughs> Happiness is conditional, but joy is certain. Listen, church, in his presence only do we find joy. You don't find joy anywhere else because your joy can be taken like that. You know who can't be taken from you? Your God can't be taken from you. Your relationship with him 
cannot be lost. Only you can lose it. But it can't be taken from you. In his presence, we find pleasures. Also, Psalm 16, verse 11, one more time. You may known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Are pleasures forevermore. Another word that I used was enjoyment. In his presence, we are actually satisfied. That's why on the other side of this, um, of this little chart, I put dissatisfaction or misery. Whenever we are living outside of the presence of God, there may be moments where we experience satisfaction, but it's not lasting. We live a life that is overall dissatisfying and ultimately a life of misery. It's only in God that we are completely satisfied. Listen, only in his presence can you be satisfied. You're going to be leaving things on the table when you're not in his presence. And then the last thing, in his presence, we find rest. Exodus 33 verse 14 says this, and he said, my presence will go with you. This is God talking to Moses. He says, and I will give you rest. What's the opposite? What do we find outside of God's presence? We find no rest. We find work. Again, if it's your responsibility, if you're leaning on your own talent and ability to take care of your family, to take care of your needs, and you have no one greater than you, like God, to take care of you, then you're always going to be on the edge of your seat. You're always going to be striving. You're always going to be wondering, are we okay? Okay, we have this much, but is it enough? You are in a constant state of work. And work, overwork leads to exhaustion. When you, when, you go, when you get into exhaustion, you're not paying attention very well. And this is where the enemy can come in, and then you find yourself in shambles because of how he came in. In God's presence, we find rest. God is wanting someone in here to really let go of some responsibilities. Even that means letting go of some part of your finances and trusting that he's going to work things out. In him, we can find rest. Listen, God longs for us to realize that we have everything we need in his presence. Everything we need is in his presence. I want to ask you a question. What do you think you need? What do you think you need? Do you think you need a raise? Do you think you need a new house? Here's one. Do you think you need your kids to be saved? Of course, we, we need our kids to be saved. But do you need your kids to be saved so that you can find peace? You see how the enemy can take us captive? He's saying, his list, you may say, well, I have these bigger things. I'm not going to worry about my job. I'm not going to worry about this or that, but he can throw that at you if your kids are not saved or your kids are sick. The, it's unending, the temptation he can throw away. But the truth is, it doesn't matter where you are in your life this morning. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It doesn't matter wh where you hurt or where you struggle. When you have his presence, you have everything that you need. Everything. 
You know, what's amazing. You have access to his presence right now. Ephesians 2 verse 18 says this, for through him, we have, this is talking about Jesus. We have both, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at that. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. We have access to the father. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says this, 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who never respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word says we can enter in with confidence. We can enter in boldly into his presence. We all have access to his presence. This topic actually correlates really well with our vision. To know Jesus is to live in his presence. This is our vision. Know Jesus, hear his voice, follow him. At Kingdom, we don't want to just teach you about Jesus. We want to introduce you to him. Not where you're just learning things about his past or learning how he can still influence you today, but we are interested in having you develop a real relationship with him. And let me tell you, there is a big, big difference between knowing things about him and knowing him personally. I know people who think they know him, but their life of anxiety and fear and anger tells me otherwise. You can't meet Jesus and not be transformed. You can't spend time in his presence and not be completely changed. To know Jesus is to live in his presence because everything changes in his presence did you know that in god's presence he can give us wisdom and direction philippians 3 verse 15 says this let us then with confidence paul just gave this whole um this whole teaching and then he says this let us let let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise god will reveal that also to you. This verse struck me a long time ago. Basically, this is what it spoke to me. It said that even if you don't understand certain things about God's word, if you spend time with him, he will correct you and he will show you things. I remember as a teenager reading this verse and I thought, okay, I knew pastors and teachers were important, but I realized I also have the uh, um, Avail- I have the opportunity, I have the privilege of coming into his presence and him teaching me directly. We have that privilege. So many times we wait for someone or something to come and help us, but we can go straight into his presence. And what's crazy is as I've walked with the Lord, there have been several things that he has shown me. He's revealed to my heart. And later on, I would be reading in the Bible. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is in the Bible? I don't know if this was in the Bible. I, would ju- I just felt this in prayer one day. But this is what happens. He wants, to, he wants to speak to us when we are with him. This is the reason why I love our vi- one of the reasons I love our vis- vision so much. Because if I can introduce you, if we can introduce you to Jesus, then even if I'm not available or your small group leader or one of your leaders or one of your mentors, if they're not available, you can go directly to Jesus and he can speak directly to you. This is why I love our vision so much because if I can get you connected to that, 
to really know him, learn how to hear his voice and follow him, then you, you won't really need me in those difficult moments. Now, we need the body. We need mentors. We need pastors. We need, so don't, don't think I'm saying you don't need us. What I'm saying is we first need him. We can be in a, we can be in a relationship with him where he speaks to us. A few weeks ago, I had this idea um, that kind of, I, I guess it kind of came to me. I don't know if the Lord put it on my heart or my mind. Or, but I asked our staff to list the top three to five things that they see our congregation um, struggles with or needs teaching on or needs, um, you know, assistance with. The top three to five things, for example, one of the things might be marriage. Um, marriage issues, marriage struggles, communication. Another one might be finances. Another one might be anxiety. That's a big one in the culture today, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And I asked them to list the top three to five things. One of the reasons I, w- I wanted to do that was I wanted to see their perspective about our church and what they see the needs are, but also so that I could get a better understanding of what uh, our church needs. And I got it. we got the results, and I'm excited to see how the Lord leads. But let me ask you this. Let's say you have, you, you, you need direction on finances. Let's say you're struggling with your finances or struggling with communicating about finances in your marriage. But we're not going to have a marriage series or a finance series for a few more months or even till the end of next year. Are you helpless until then? You know how many people leave church because of that line of reasoning? Well, they're not teaching what I need. So you're saying you only get fed once a week on Sunday morning. Forget about asking somebody. Forget about doing your own research. Well, they're not. So let's say you have an issue. You have, you have this issue. One thing you can do is you can ask somebody. You can come ask me or ask another leader. Hey, I have an issue. The second thing you can do is do research. There's, we live in an age where you have access to so many sermons and teachings. You can find answers about anything. But you know the most important thing you can do? is you can get in his presence and get a custom answer for a custom problem that you're going through. I know I'm repeating this phrase a lot, but there's a lot more in his presence than we realize. This is why we have to learn to prioritize it in our lives. We get in God's presence. I can testify about this. When we started Kingdom four years ago, Listen, I grew up in church. I went to all the conferences. I, I've been in most ministries in church. But the, specifically that first year, I encountered a handful of things that I had never received any teaching about before in any class or anything. I had no idea what to do. So how do we get from there to here? A healthy dose of humility, <laughs> understanding my limitations, understanding that it's not really me, but it's him in me, and a hunger for his presence. I said, God, if you don't come through in this moment, we're going to take a left turn and this ship is going down. A hunger for his presence in my life and a hunger for his presence in this church has led us and covered us. 
but most of us will only visit his presence. I'm just going to ask you, how important is the presence of God in your life? Let me ask you this. Is his presence worth prioritizing? And you can say yes for the rest of the day, but our actions are going to prove whether we mean it or not. How important is the presence of God? You know, another person I think about is King David. King David is regarded as one of the most celebrated, successful kings that ever lived. Jerusalem is called the city of David. Where do you think David learned how to be a king? Do you think he was part of a royal family and his dad was the king and he just grew up understanding what it meant to lead a nation? No, he didn't. He was part of the tribe of Judah and the, the tribe that was, uh, the tribe that, that had a king on the throne was the tribe of Benjamin, which was King Saul. So how did David learn how to be a king? He learned how to be a king by spending time with the king of kings in God's presence while he was tending his father's sheep. Let me tell you, it wasn't a walk in the park. There are many obstacles that David had to overcome. You may not realize this. This is going to maybe surprise a few people. But David, I believe, dealt with the spirit of rejection. I actually believe that David had a father wound. Why do I think that? Because whenever God sent the prophet Samuel to go to his dad's house, his dad brought, the sev- brought seven brothers but left him out in the field. What do you think that did that? What do you think that could have done to a little boy's heart? My dad doesn't even think I'm worthy to be a king. He's not going to even invite me to the party. And on top of that, he was put as a shepherd tending his father's sheep. Being a shepherd was one of the lowliest jobs that anyone could have back then. So not only was he not worthy to be a king, his dad thought he was only worthy to be a shepherd. But did David complain? No. He used that time to be alone with God, and I really believed that it was while he was tending his, <clears throat> his father's sheep that he received his identity as a son of God. Not only was he rejected by Jesse, his dad, he was also rejected by King Saul multiple times when Saul first met David, and then even years after that when Saul tried to kill David. Look at 1 Samuel 17. This is the first meeting that David had with Saul. He said this, and Saul said to David, you are not able, talking about uh, Goliath the giant. He says, David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb for the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if that lion or that bear rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said one more thing. The Lord, he said, not me, not my experience, not my expertise. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me. From the hand of this Philistine. How could David say that the Lord delivered him from all these animals and from all of these enemies? 
Because he knew God was with him. That's the only way he could understand. And the only way he could say that is because he didn't just have a head knowledge that God was with him because he read it in the, in the, the book of Moses and the law when he grew up. He had a real experience in the presence of God that made him realize. Trust me, when you're going against a bear and going against the lion, you have to have more than just a, a mental understanding that God is for you. You got to know that he has your back. And when you're in a situation, whenever you're in one of the valleys of your life, you need to have more than just some information about Jesus. You need to have a real relationship with him where you understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is with you always, even to the end of the age, as it says in Matthew. There's more in his presence than we realize. Where did David get this revelation again? When he was tending his father's sheep. And just a side note, God will sometimes require you to serve someone who doesn't completely accept you. How do I know? He served his dad and he served Saul. Sometimes God will have, I don't know who this is for, but sometimes God will have you in a situation where you don't feel honored, you don't feel respected, but God is saying, I still have you there. And the Lord is saying, the character you will gain from that experience will far surpass the enjoyment of getting out of that situation so that you don't have to be in that hardship. I'm going to say that again. The character that you get from that will be far more, valu- far more valuable than simply relieving yourself of something that is difficult just because you're not respected and you're not honored. Every great man... Every great woman in the Bible served someone that didn't respect them and didn't honor them. Jesus, he went to the cross and the people that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, at the beginning of the week were shouting, crucify, crucify him. Hang in there. I know it's, t- I know it's difficult, but God has you in that place. David learned that while he was watching over his father's sheep, God was watching over him. David learned that even though his father rejected him, even though King Saul rejected him, God didn't reject him, which led him to write Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what he said? God's watching over me. I don't lack anything in his presence, not one thing. I know that my dad didn't invite me to the ceremony. I know that King Saul has tried to kill me, but I know that in your presence, I don't lack one thing. I am fully satisfied. I am fully complete in you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You're with me. <laughs> Again, I, He didn't just have a Sunday school understanding that God was with him. He had a real experience. This is the difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing him. I can't tell you. I was actually driving. I can't go down that route. (laughs) There are many people in church that go to church because that's what their parents did and that's what their grandparents did but they don't know Jesus any more than the person who visited one time and didn't come again. You can know a lot about him, and that's good. Learn about Jesus, but do you know him? 
Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He said, you prepare a table where I can sit down and I can rest. You know my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And look at the last part of the most famous, arguably the most famous chapter in the Bible. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what David was saying? I will be in your presence forever. I know I will be in your presence forever. Listen, David cared about the presence of God more than anything in his life. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he brought the ark back into Jerusalem, even though his wife mocked him, even though he looked unkingly. He says, I don't care. The presence of God is coming back to live with me. And that's the only thing that matters to me. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the only thing that mattered. His presence was such a priority that if everything else fell apart, he knew he was going to be okay. Even when David sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he wrote this. Psalm 51 verse 10. It says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11. He says, cleanse me, God. Cast me not. Oh, it, whatever you do, God, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is the Old Testament, David. We want to read a lot about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But he knew that God, God's spirit was with him. And that was the last thing. Even if he lost, the, he didn't say, restore to me my kingdom. He said, restore, he, he didn't say, God, please don't punish me so that I lose the honor and the privilege of leading your people. He says, do not take me, take your presence away from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. He said he knew that joy was not found anywhere else than in God's presence. That was his prayer. He said, Father, if you read the whole chapter, he said, Father, forgive me for sinning against you in this way. It's an evil thing. I've only sinned against you. But whatever you do, do not take your presence from me. I cannot live without your presence. I was in bed the other night probably a couple weeks ago, and I, and I was laying there, and I realized something that I had not realized, that I probably a thought I hadn't thought in, I don't know, years, I don't know. I had this thought, I'm not happy with where I am in life. And that, I don't know how I realized it, but the thought just came to you, I'm not, I'm not happy, I'm just not happy. And if you know me, I don't have thoughts like that. I don't think about my happiness. I, I, I really don't. I, 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 I'm not trying to be, like, religious or anything. I'm, I promise you I'm not. But I, I think, am I doing what God wants, and, and am I close to God? That's how I base my happiness, because I realize in his presence is I have everything I need. And I realize the reason that I wasn't happy is because I was allowing things to keep me from God to keep me away from his presence. And the Lord highlighted a few things. He said, social media, Josh. He said, I've been trying to tell you this whole past year. He said, social media is robbing time from me because you would rather scroll and scroll and scroll on your phone than get in my word or pray. This is for me. I'm talking about me, and I'm sure maybe it hits home for some of us. But he said, social media... So the other thing you're not doing is you're not getting a grip of your schedule. You're allowing things just to come and you just fill your schedule with however, without 
starting with me first and saying, you know what, if I'm going to get up at 6 in the morning, like he's asked me to do, then I'm going to have to go to bed at 10. And that's hard when a lot of ministry is done at night. That's hard when I don't have, you know, somebody to tell me, hey, go to bed. You need to go to bed. He says, these things are keeping you from being in my presence. And I just realized I could be so much further along. I could be so much closer to the Lord, but I refuse. And this is the truth. Not because I don't want to. I have refused to take, to get a grasp on these things and truly surrender them to the Lord. And I feel like the Lord said, are you willing to prioritize my presence at another level? And in this case, it's going to require you letting go of some things. I was sad. I was really sad because I thought I... You know, the, you know the worst thing, this is the worst thing, is to know what you should do. It's one thing to not know. We, have, we know a lot of people who don't know. It's one thing to know what you should do and still not do it. That's the worst thing. You know you should do better. You know you should talk about it. You know you should do, but you just don't do it. God's like, you can't claim ignorance on that one. You can't claim stupidity either. But you can claim rebellion because that's what you're doing. You know I'm asking you to do something and you're still not doing it. So God spoke and I really had to just say, where is God? So I want to ask you a question. How much have you prioritized God's presence this past week? Is his presence a priority? Is this presence a priority in your life? You have to ask that question before you, I ask, how much have you prioritized it? And like I said, not just in the morning, not just before a meal, but throughout the day. How much have you prioritized it? Church, we really do have, have everything we need in his presence. I'm going to tell you again, what do you think you need? Do you need your marriage to be worked out? Do you need your kids to start doing better in school? We list all these things above the presence of God because we think if these things are worked out, then we're okay. That is a lie from the devil. And the truth is he'll continue to give you more and more things to focus on so that he'll keep you out of God's presence. But the truth is you only get joy in God's presence. You only get satisfaction in his presence. You only get rest in his presence. You only get peace in his presence. I'm going to read this last passage, and then we're done. Psalm 16, verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Listen to this verse. I say to God, to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This should be all of our prayer. I have nothing good apart from you. I don't have kids that are better than you. I don't have a, a spouse that's better than you. I don't have a business that's better than you. I don't have anything good apart from you. Skip to verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. Look at verse 6. The, line, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Meaning, he says, life has turned out very well for me. 
He said, the lions of life have fallen. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance because he put God first. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and then I also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. This psalm was written by someone who understood the value of the presence of God. God's desire is for you to realize that there is nothing. I know that's, that's a, I keep saying that. And I know it's like an absolute statement. There's nothing. What the enemy wants to do is say, yeah, there's nothing, but you also need to do this. But you also. And if he can get us to go down that direction, then he has us. Then Then we're no longer prioritizing his presence. I remember, and I've said this before, but I remember when I started taking God more seriously, I had to say, you know what? If I don't accomplish anything else today except to be in his presence, then it's a successful day. I had to... I had to tell myself that because I knew, I knew myself, I would start start working on ministry stuff. I would start working on school stuff. And then before you knew it, I didn't spend any time with God. What do you have to do to prioritize his presence? What do you have to let go? What do you need to surrender to him? 